Moses does something very wise here, something very skilled here. And uh, in the spirit of memorizing verses, uh, I was talking to uh, um, Sean and, and Christina Salustio. We, we took American Heritage Girls and Trail, trail Life. We were, we were camping. Uh, we went camping Friday night, and some of them still were camping uh, last night uh, over the conference grounds. And she had, uh, Sean asked me, hey, how are you doing on your verse? And uh, so we chatted about that for a moment. And then I think she, you said you put it to a song. She put the verse to a song. And that's what Moses does here. Moses, really, this would have been a song that they would have sang that would help them to remember for all times the greatness and the awesomeness of their God. This would be something that they would have passed down from generation to generation to help them remember and to remember the character and the greatness of their God. And, and that's what this is based upon. I hope you saw that even into... Chapter, 20, chapter 33 that we'll look at today, it's talking about the awesomeness, the greatness of, of our God. And, and I appreciate Lee, and as he prayed that, we throw around these words, we throw around these adjectives very, very casually, very flippantly. You know, it doesn't take a whole lot for something to be declared as awesome these days. You know, really anything normal that happens, it was awesome. And I got up this morning, it was awesome. You got up every morning. You know, I saw this, was Awesome. And really, in reality, I thought about that this week as I read these verses. Really, there, there's only one that is awesome, and it's our God. There, there is none that compare. And, and that's the one theme that I want us to see, that I want us to walk out here today. There's not three points, there's not two points, there's one point. And it's this, there is none like our God. There's none like our God. And that, that's what Moses here in chapter 32 and chapter 33 is trying to get across. He knows he's about to die. He knows he's not going to walk with him very longer. And he says, look, as you walk forward without me, remember this truth. There's none like our God. There's, been, there's none like our God in grace, in choosing you. There's none like our God in judgment, in dealing with sin. There's none like our God in even the grace to draw you back when you've wandered away. I mean, that's the big picture that Moses is showing here in these chapters, just recounting their history and their future. It's just a simple but yet a profound truth that we would all do well to remember. There is none like our God. He alone is awesome. A.W. Tozier rightly said in his book, Knowledge of the Holy, listen to what he says. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing there is about us. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing there is about us. He, he, he's teaching us, Tozer is teaching us that there is no person, no people, or no culture that will ever rise above their thoughts of their God. You will not rise above the thoughts that you have regarding God. We will not be greater than our thoughts are about God. And our thoughts, hear me, our thoughts in many ways, who we know God to be, who we believe God to be, will be a governor of sorts to our worship. You serve a, you serve a puny, weak God, your worship will be puny and weak. But if you serve a great God, if you serve the King of kings and the Lord of lords, you're, you'll have no struggle worshiping. And, and that is my fear. That is my fear that we as a, as a people, even though God has disclosed Himself, we know very little about that disclosure. We know very little regarding 
that revelation. That's my struggle. And, and if I asked you to describe God right now, if, if on the back of your handout, in that space provided, if I ask you, just over the next couple minutes, I want you to write down, describe to me the God of this Bible, the one true God. Could you? Matter of fact, I mean, if we took a few minutes right now, just take a few minutes right now, I want to, I, this would be good for us. It could be convicting, be good for us. Flip that handout over, and for the next few minutes, it's not timed, I don't want you to rush, just, it's not a test, no one else is going to see it. I'm doing this for you. I'm doing this for you. Write down descriptions of our God. Over the next few minutes, just write them down. As things come to your mind, I want you to see for yourself how well you know this God. If this is easy or hard, next few minutes, take a few minutes. All right, that was two minutes, two minutes, exactly two minutes. Was it a long two minutes? Was it a short two minutes? You wish you had more time? Could you not wait for the two minutes to end so we could get on? You know, I, I, I thought about that as I prepared this week to give us a moment to have a chance to do that so we could see for ourselves, do, how well do you know this God? What, what do you know this God that this Bible tells us about, the one true God? What do you know Him to be like? Would you describe Him as things like omnipresent, all pres ever-present? Would you describe Him as omnipotent, all-powerful? Would you describe Him as omniscient, all-knowing? Would you describe Him with immutable, unchanging? Maybe you would describe him like Moses describes him here in the, in the, in the first few verses of, of Deuteronomy 32. And we'll get to that in a minute. But, but the number one question before us today, before all of us, is this. Who is God? The number one question. Who is God? If we could drill down deep inside of all of us, if we could drill down and really know who you perceive God to be, what would he be like? Would he be impersonal? Would he be things like you hear tossed around 
uh, the force of life. He's a principle of love. He's a cosmic principle. He's a cosmic father. In principle, in, in personal ways like that, is that what we would find? That, that, that we hear people refer to him as mother nature or father time or the ultimate reality and these impersonal things? Would we find, if we drilled down, would we find that, no, no, he's not impersonal, he's personable, he's personable. Maybe, maybe the personal descriptions that you use to describe him just missed the mark a, a good bit. Would you describe him as maybe, as maybe you hear the man upstairs? Or, or, or like a grandfather, would you describe God kind of like as a grandfather, just sitting back on his rocking chair watching the kids play, and he don't want to discipline anybody, he just kind of set things in motion and... Goes on and let the parents deal with it. Is God described maybe to you as, as a grandfather? You hear it all the time. People, things happen and they'll say, well, I guess the man upstairs wasn't ready to take me home. Listen, God's not the man upstairs. If that's what our description of him is, woe to us. Woe to us. My point here as we get into these chapters is idolatry can take many forms. We have this idea uh, of, of this, this, this golden calf or this thing sitting here, and we think, well, I don't have that. I'm not idol. No, no. Idolatry can take on many forms. Some subtle, some not subtle. Some intentional, some unintentional. And idolatry can be as subtle as forming thoughts about the one true God that, does, that do not measure up to who He actually is and being okay with that. That's idolatry. To think about thoughts about God, to, to think of, of God in ways that don't measure up the way the Scripture has, has disclosed in choosing to serve that God when it woefully falls short. God has revealed Himself. He has disclosed Himself. Uh, idolatry can also be allowing yourself to worship the one true God, but yet crowded with lots of other small g gods. You, you just crowd Him out. Maybe he's one of many, many gods that, that we're serving this morning, just trying to diversify, trying to cover our bases, just trying to make sure. We're not, we're not really sure he's the one true God, so let's serve him just in case, but then other gods. That, that's idolatry. Not, not setting God up as distinct, not worshiping as the, as the one and only. We've said, we've said it before, and, and, but you know, we, we like to say, well, God is number one, and my family's number two, and listen to me. That sounds good on paper, but listen to me. God is number one. There is no number two. He's number one. I mean, I've said it before. If I told my wife, hey, Karen, don't you worry. You're number one woman in my life. She, you know what she's going to want to know? Who's number two? Who's number two? You know what she's going to tell me? There better not be a number two. I don't care if number two is your mama. I want, it, I want her to be away... My, I, I, I love her singularly and devotionally and different than all other women. There is no number two. And, and see, idolatry can take many, many forms. And that's what, that's what Moses is, wor is, is warning against here in chapters 32 and 33 to, to help them understand just how awesome their God is. To, to make sure that they keep their thoughts on God rightly fixed, so they understand how awesome He is. He, he, again, he knows he's about to leave. And Moses is making sure that they are able, that they know for themselves, but that they're able to teach subsequent 
future generations, the children, uh, again, how awesome their God is, how awesome their God is. And we've seen that time and time again to teach future generations just how awesome that their God is and the character of that God. And, and look, look in verses 1 through uh, 4 here. Look, look in verses 1 through 4. Look how Moses starts out. And Lee read it, but, but look at it. Give ear, O heavens, and let me speak, and let the earth hear the words of my mouth. Let my teaching drop as the rain, my speech distill as the dew, as the droplets on the fresh grass, as I showers on the herb. For I proclaim the name of the Lord. Listen, ascribe greatness to our God. Greatness. The rock. His work is perfect, for all his ways are just. A God of faithfulness and without injustice, righteous and upright is he. Were, were, those, were those some of the ways that you describe God? Did you describe him as righteous? Did you describe him as just? Did you describe him as perfect? Did you describe him as stable, the rock, did, dependable, could be relied upon? You know, those are the ways that, that Moses says to describe him. It's interesting. Moses uses that description of the rock four times in this section. He says it in verse 4. Look over in verse 15. He says, and scorn the rock of their salvation. In verse 30, he says, unless their rock has sold them and the Lord has given them up. In verse 31, indeed, there he contrasts God to the false gods. He says, their rock. It's not like our rock, capital R, a rock. This would remind Israel that their God was stable, that he was strong, that he was unchanging, that he was faithful, that he was enduring. Did your descriptions of God include any of those? That's who he is. Moses knew that if Israel, if they understood the greatness that had been revealed about their God, if they understood that, if they passed that on to generation to generation, that it would keep them from the folly and the worthlessness of other idols by seeing the greatness of their God. Look with me at, at, at 32 verse 39. This is the theme that runs throughout these two chapters. Look at me, 32, 39. See now that I, I am He, and there is no God besides me. Do you see what I'm trying to say? There is, what he's saying is there is no number two. There, there's no one, there's nothing in my class. I am in a class all to myself. There is no number two. Look, look at chapter 33, verse 26. There is none like the God of Jeshurun who rides in heavens to your help and through the skies in his majesty. There, there is none. There's none like him. And that's what Moses here is teaching Israel about the why. The why behind it mattering about who we think God is. And here it is. Because we tend to live and move and act towards our mental image of God. Listen to me. You can, we can say what we want with our creeds. We can say what we want in public. We can act one. Listen to me. We will live up to who we believe our God to be. The most important thing about us is who is the God that we worship. That the most revealing, the most important thing about us as the people of God is this. Who is our God and what is He like? What do we believe Him to be? 
regardless of what we say, regardless of what we put on billboards, regardless of all this other stuff, how we live will be a reflection of who we believe God to be. How we live. Not what we say, how we live. I, I, I'm amazed as I, as I watch individuals here, and I'm encouraged to be the pastor of this church as I watch individuals, and, and they're numerous, walk through what they walk through, and I speak to them, and they're, they're, they're unmoved by their cancer. They're unshaken by their cancer. Why? Because they serve a huge God. They serve a huge God. You walk through cancer with a puny God, it's going to change the way you walk through cancer. You, you walk through the stuff that, that the people of this, that, that, that we have walked through, the abuse and the infidelity and the hurt and the, the, just the sin running rampant. The, the, I, I can't count on my hands the number of people who have lost children, all that. You serve a puny God, that stuff is going to rock your world. But you serve a God that's unmovable, that's stable, that is sure, that loves you with an everlasting love, that will never leave you nor forsake you. It changes the way you walk through those things. That's why, again, 1 Peter 1, 6, Lee said it, In all this we greatly rejoice, though for a little while you have had to suffer trials of various kinds. These have come about so the proven genuineness of your faith, being more precious than gold, though refined by fire, it still perishes, result in praise and glory at the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is praised by a people whose faith is genuine and it's unmoved. That though we face trials of various kinds, though we may have suffered grief, we still praise our great God as Job said, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And Moses is, is in, in his last days, he's saying, this is the great, the awesome God that you worship, that you have been chosen by, that you have been loved by. Know this God. And we must seek as best we can, as best we can, to have an accurate idea and belief about the God of this Bible. And I say as best as we can because admittedly, and I acknowledge we're sinners. We're, we're finite individuals trying to grasp the infinite. We, we'll never ever be perfect. We'll, we'll never ever understand the greatness of, of this God that He has revealed us to be. I can understand that the, this revelation is all I can try to grasp as best I can. And yet, what we'll see in a moment is there's vastly more to this great God. As much as He's revealed Himself to be here, there is so much, much more. And, and there's so much more beyond God and, and that, that I don't even know about. But, but we've got to know and believe what He has chosen to reveal about Himself. That's our role. Listen, what we believe about God acts as the foundation to our lives and to our worship. That is what Moses is saying. That what you believe about God, who you know God to be, is the foundation not only for your life, but for your worship. We, we've got to get the question right, who is God? You see at the end of the, of the, the uh, Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7, he says, he talks about building a foundation. You're going to build your life on the foundation that's built with sand? Are you gonna, uh, that's the world? Or are you going to build your life built on the foundation that's the rock, the Lord Jesus Christ? Because when the storms come, it says there, and when the storms came, great 
was his fall. When life came, when, when death came, when the effects of sin came, when disease came, if your life is not built on the rock, on Jesus Christ, great will be your fall. Because there is no foundation other than Jesus Christ. And yet, the contrast is the, 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 the life, the house that was built on the rock was unmoved. Does it hurt? Absolutely it hurt. Does it stick? Yes. Do you have ups and downs? I'm not saying that. But the foundation was sure. The foundation was sure. And think about this. Think about this. The relief that comes with right thoughts about God. The relief that comes. Burdens lifted. Anxieties tossed away. Worries neglected. Why? Because we serve an awesome God. It's not that those things don't assail us. It's that, that, it's that we serve an awesome God in the midst of those. And that right there is the beauty of the gospel. And, and, and Moses talks about that here. That, that though we have sinned mightily, that though we have loved false gods, that though we have chased other lovers, that though we have scorned God's grace, here it is, this great God is putting His Son on a cross to die for that people. That God would continually, faithfully serve Israel is their God, even in verse 43, and will atone for his land and his people. He did that through Jesus Christ, ultimately. He atoned for the sins. Isaiah says, though their sins were as scarlet, he washed them white as snow. That's a phenomenal, awesome God. And that's, Moses talks about that in, in, in verse, starting in verse 5 through 11. They have acted corruptly towards them. They are not his children because of their defect, but of a perverse, perverse and crooked generation. Do you thus repay the Lord, O foolish and wise people? Is he not your father who has bought you? He made you and established you. He goes on to talk about all their sin. And look at verse 11. I love verse 11. And, and David, I mean, Daniel sang about this this morning. Like an eagle that stirs up its nest, that hovers over its young, he spreads his wings and caught them. He carried them on in his pinions. The, the, beauty, of, the beauty of the picture of God there, that though all these things assail us, you have, a, you have a mother hen who has his wings spread out and he's sheltering his people from the storm. Sheltering them. And, and that a, a wicked and perverse and corrupt and sinful people, not even a good people. That's the awesomeness of our God. A people who would one day nail His Son to a cross and crucify the Messiah that He had promised to them for their whole history. And He would be that good to them. And hear me, low, low views of God, low views of God destroy the gospel. Destroy the gospel. Why? Because God becomes just like us. You, you look throughout just in Deuteronomy, four different times in Deuteronomy, in here, Deuteronomy 7, Deuteronomy 10, 17, Deuteronomy 10, 21, Deuteronomy 28, 58, Moses uses that word awesome to describe God. Four times in Deuteronomy alone. He says, do not forsake the awesome God. He says the same thing in, in Exodus 15, verse 11. Uh, he says, Who is like you among the gods, O Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in praises, working wonders? There, there is none like this God. There is none. That's the point. And, and, and to hold a low view of God and an elevated view of man... It destroys the gospel. Hear me, it destroys the gospel. 
Because that is at the heart, that is at the heart of all idolatry. It's elevating man and de-elevating God. It's trying to make God like us. We try to make God be like us. Look at Psalm 50, verse 1. I mean 21. Psalm 50, verse 21. You see this very clearly. He says, These things you have done, and I have kept silent. Listen to me. You thought that I was just like you. You see where idolatry starts? You see where, where, where well, false worship begins? Thinking that God was just like us. See, we think that God is like us. And we begin to mistake His silence for His approval. That's what Israel did. You, you see it in chapter 32, verse 16. They made him jealous with strange gods, with abominations. They provoked him to anger. They sacrificed demons who were not God to gods whom they have not known, new gods who came lately, whom your fathers did not dread. You neglected the rock who begot you and forgot the God who gave you birth. The Lord saw this and spurned them because of the provocation of his sons and daughters. And he said, I will hide my face from them. I will see what their end shall be, for they are a perverse generation, sons in whom there is no faithfulness. Moses never got over the kindness of God that would lead his people to repentance. Paul says the same thing in Romans 2.4, seeing that his kindness and tolerance leads us to repentance. God's silence is not necessarily his approval. He's just that kind and tolerant at times. And think about it. The weight, the, 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 think about the weight of, a, of, of ascribing to God less than he's worthy of. Listen to me, I, I don't know there everything there is to know about Chris Basham, but a lot of what I know about Chris Basham, I don't even like. I certainly don't want to worship God, worship a God that's like Chris Basham, okay? We, we need a rock that's a lot greater than Chris Basham. You need a rock that's a lot greater than Chris Basham. And, and the, 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 that we would reduce God to be like us? And the first step down, hear me, the first step down, here's why it matters. The first step down for any people or a church is when it surrenders its high view of God. When we surrender our high view of God, that, that is the first step down that leads to folly and, and idolatry. When, when we don't answer the question rightly, who is God, everything else falls apart. Again, we'll look good on the outside, our creeds will sound good, we, we can quote, we can do all that, but deep down, who is God? And we must believe God to be who He has revealed Himself to be. That is not only our task, but as Moses said, and I've said, that's our task to the next generation. The greatest service that we can do for our children and the next generation is to pass on a high view of God. That is the task that God has put before us as parents, as a church, as a people, is to pass on to the next generation a high view of God, to raise our children up understanding the greatness of God. And Moses starts where all of us should start, the awesomeness of God. The awesomeness of God is where it all starts. That, that is the need for our generation, is to discover the greatness of this God, not who am I. The question is not, who am I? We live in a world that, oh, you need to find out who you are. You need to find out who, no, no, you need to find out who this God is. You don't need to, he'll tell you who you are. 
But, but what, what I need and what you need and what my kids need and what your kids need are to, is to understand who this great God is. Not who they are. What they need to know by themselves is they're, they're sinners. But there's a great God who put His Son on a cross to die for that sin. He wants to live inside of you and empower you to do far greater things than you ever imagined. That's John 14. Greater things, he says. You'll do greater things than me. Once we find out who God is, then we can understand who we are. And that's what Moses is doing here, specifically in 32 and 33. He's answering the question, who is God? Who is God? And I don't know where all of us stand. I don't know where we all sit in this. I don't know how we would all answer the question. I don't know where we are in, in walking. Maybe God has walked you through a lot, little this and that. But listen to me. At the end of the day, Christianity is not just a bunch of facts. It's not a bunch of theologies. It's not a bunch of questions. It's not a bunch of memorized verses. Christianity is a relationship. It's a relationship with the one true God. It's not, it's not again, it's not just a bunch of facts. It's not informational. It's relational. We need to have a living, vital, personal relationship with the God who made us. I mean, and and it's, it's just like we do with our wives. When we dated them and got to know them and hung out time with them, your love for them grew. It's a relation. It's not, well, is Karen, prove to me Karen's your wife. Well, I know her birthday. I know what her mom and dad's name was. And I knew where she grew up. No, 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 that's not Christianity. Anybody can find that information out. Relational is this. I know things about Karen that none of y'all know because she's my wife. Because it's relational. Because I've taken the time to get to know those things. That I've walked her with her and through things. It's relational. But it's relational. Christianity is relational with the one true king, the king who made us. And just, just to whet our appetites, just to whet our appetites, I want to help us. Some of us may have struggled with that task. Some of us not. I want to I show us through the word of God the relationship that has been offered to us with the one true God through the blood of His Son, Jesus Christ. Just to catch a glimpse. We could be here all day talking about the greatness of God. We won't. Some of you, I mean, we, sometimes you feel like we're here all day, but we're not. We're, we're going to be here just a few minutes. Look at me at Psalm 8. I'm going to help us. Next time someone says, describe to you this great God, I want to help us. Psalm 8, verses 1 through 4 and verse 9. Listen to this. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Who have displayed your splendor above the heavens. From the mountain of infants and nursing babes you have established strength because of your adversaries to make the enemy and the revengeful cease. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained. Listen to this. The writer, the David says this. When I consider how great you are in everything you've done. Look what he says in verse 4. What is man that you take thought of him? This is how awesome you are, God. What in the world are you doing dealing with man? Sinful man. The son of man that you care for him. Look at verse 9. O Lord, how Lord, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Majestic. Did anybody put majestic down when they described God? Look at Psalm 83, 18. They should come up here on the board for you. I'll just read them for the sake of time. That they may know that you alone, whose name is the Lord, are the most high over all the earth. Did most high? Was that in any of your descriptions, most high, that there is no one higher than God? Look with me at Psalm 96, verses 1 through 9. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless His name. Proclaim good tidings of His salvation from day to day. 
Tell of his glory among the nations, his wonderful deeds among the people. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods, for all the gods of the people are idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. With splendor, splendor, was that one of your descriptions? Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Were those in your description? Ascribe to the Lord, O families of all the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory of his name being an offering and come to his courts. Listen to this. Worship the Lord in holy attire. Tremble before him all the earth. Was holiness in your description? Was glory? Turn over one more. Psalm 50. I mean Psalm 150. Psalm 150. Praise the Lord. Praise Him in His sanctuary. Praise Him in a mighty expanse. Praise Him for His mighty deeds. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Was excellent greatness one of yours? Praise Him with trumpet sound, with lyre, harp, tremble, dancing, stringed instruments, pipe, loud cymbals, resounding cymbals. So those of you who don't like drums in the sanctuary, you're unbiblical. Just kidding, just kidding. Just want to lighten the mood a little bit. Let, listen, verse 6. Let everything that has breath... Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Moses and the rest of scriptures are calling us to do just that, are teaching us how to do just that, to praise the great God that we have been called by, who sacrificed His Son for us. We're called to worship. And as I say that, as I say that, listen to me, there is a caution. There is a caution. Growing in our knowledge of God, growing in relationship with God, there is a caution there. And let me, let me read, let me read this, this psalm real quick. Psalm 145, verses 1, and three, 1 through 3. Our memory, our memory verses, and here's the caution. But, but at the same time, this is a caution, listen to me, it also speaks to the awesomeness of our God. I will extol you, my God, Psalm 145, verses 1 through 3. I will extol you, my God, O King, and I will bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you, and I will praise your name forever and ever. Listen, great is the Lord and highly to be praised, and His greatness is what? Unsearchable. As we pursue this God, as we chase after this God, listen to me. We will never, ever, ever fully grasp just how awesome He is. This is a lifelong pursuit. But see, that's how awesome He is. That you'll never fully understand Him. You're never going to get to a point that you say, I know Him in and out, completely done. I know everything He does, everything He's going to do. You'll never get there. That, that's how awesome He is. R Romans 11 Paul speaks to that in Romans 11, verses 33 through 36. And I, and I take great solace in this. If Paul said this, who, Paul, I mean, this is Paul. Romans eleven thirty three. 33, listen, listen to how Paul describes this great, awesome God that we serve. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of his wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has become his counselor, or who has first given to him that he might pay it back to him again? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. You know what he's saying there? Accept God's sovereignty. Accept the fact that God is for you and not against you. Do things come against you that you do not understand? Unequivocally. I don't have answers for them. You don't. 
But we serve a God who takes all those things and works it out to the good of those who love him, who does get great glory even from the worst possible things. And I give you the cross. Worst possible thing in all the world is God dying. Best possible thing in all the world, God dying. But what about Ephesians? Paul goes on in Ephesians to say, uh, uh, to give us another great truth, just to challenge our minds with the awesomeness of God. Now, listen to verse 20 of chapter 3 of Ephesians. Now, to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us. That power works within us. Listen, to him be the glory forever in the church in Christ to all generations forever and ever. Listen to me. No matter what you think God can do, he can do more. No matter how powerful you think God is, he's more powerful. That's how awesome he is. Like, no, no, matter, no matter how awesome you think he is, he's more. No, no, matter, how, no matter how much you think he can do, he can do greater. That, that's how awesome he is. And that's what Moses is trying to tell him. It's a lifelong pursuit. We, we've got to pursue what God has revealed, but, but not from the standpoint of that we'll ever be able to finish the pursuit. It's, it's like the, I mean, not to use an illustration, but it's like the greyhound dog that's chasing the rabbit. You ain't going to catch it. That's how awesome God is. A.W. Tozier goes on to say this, and this was a very challenging quote uh, for me in his book, Knowledge of the Holy. I would encourage you to read it. If you want to read something that'll just blow up your mind, read that book. It's challenging. When we're left to ourselves, listen to this, when we're left to ourselves, we tend to reduce God to manageable terms, terms we can understand and relate to. A.W. Tozer goes on to say this, we want to get God where we can use Him, or at least where, where He is when we need Him. We want a God we can in some measure control. We need the feeling of security from knowing what God is like. In our sinfulness, we, we want to try to control God. We want to know what He's going to do. We want to know how to expect what He's going to do. We want to know it. And He's saying, you're never going to know Him fully. You'll never know Him fully. That's how awesome He is. In Psalm, Psalm 115, verse 3, the writer, the psalmist says this, But our God is in the heavens. He does whatever He pleases. Guess what? You're not going to control Him. He does whatever He pleases. And guess what? You couple that with the fact that He's good and He's always good. He does whatever He pleases. I won't understand it. And I wouldn't have done it that way. But God is good. What about Isaiah, Isaiah 55 verses 8 and 9? Look at what it says in Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9 regarding God's ways. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. God does whatever He pleases. Moses warned of this very same thing in Deuteronomy 29, 29. He said this, the secret things belong to the Lord. God has revealed a great deal about Himself, invited us into a relationship, and yet Moses himself said, you know what? There's going to be things that you don't understand. There's going to be secret things that God doesn't disclose. They belong to the Lord. Leave them alone. I mean, the fact that God can be known ought to be an amazing, dumbfounding thought to us. 
and yet at the same time, He remains infinitely beyond our ability to know everything there is to know. That's how awesome He is. That's how awesome He is. And we need to, as we seek to know God, we've got to understand and accept the fact that as much as we know about God, that there is so much more that we do not know, we'll never know. And we've got to accept the fact that God is incomprehensible. That's exactly what Paul said in Romans 11. He's incomprehensible. I love Judges, the, the book of Judges, in, in chapter 13, uh, 17 and 18. Listen to this just, just for a moment. In the book of Judges, 13, 17 and 18. Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, listen to this, what is your name? So that when your words come to pass, we may honor you. But the angel of the Lord said to him, Why do you ask my name, seeing it is wonderful? The word there for wonderful literally is incomprehensible. Like if I, if I told you my name, you wouldn't even be able to fathom what I told you. That's how awesome it is. Literally, literally the word there, he says, my name is too wonderful. When Manoah wanted to know the, the name of the angel, he said, the name is, just call me too wonderful. I mean, could you imagine saying that? What's your name? Too wonderful. My name's too wonderful. Don't ask Karen, but my name is too wonderful. Too wonderful. The, the greatness of our God is seen that, that, that one word, wonderful, incomprehensible. It literally, in, in Psalm 139.6, the, the writer of that psalm says the same thing. Psalm 139, verse 6, it says, Such knowledge, he talks about how much God knows and, and, and all these things. Listen to what he says. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high, I cannot attain it. God has disclosed himself. Enough for us to be drawn into that relationship. Enough for us to, to know Him. And yet at the same time, we'll never know Him fully. There will still be things that happen in our lives where we have to just, by faith, take the next step, trusting in the character of the God that we know. We'll never know Him fully. Hebrews 11.6 says, Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Those who pursue God must believe that He is God and that He is a rewarder of those who seek Him. Christianity is a seeking, but we'll never fully entertain. We'll never fully understand the great God we serve. And yet we pursue by faith. That's why I love Psalm 46.10 says what? Cease striving and just know that I am God. Cease striving and just rest in the fact. I'm God. In verse 1 of that passage, he talks about God being a refuge, a very present help in times of trouble. Hey, I got it. God's got it. Nothing, listen, here's the beauty of the great God that, that we serve. Nothing will hinder, impede, obstruct, or restrain God in fulfilling His purposes. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Nothing. Deuteronomy 33, 26, he says, There is none like the God of Jeshem who rides the heavens. Listen, what does it say there? Who rides the heavens to your help. Listen, you get that? The greatness of God, how awesome he is, that is to our help. He rides the heavens to our help. God is exuberant in his pursuit to help us. Everything that He is, is, is for our good. 
Second Chronicles 16.9 says this, The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the earth to show Himself strong on your behalf. It's a relationship. And when we don't know this God, when we don't know this God, it impacts everything about our lives. And I close with this. I close with this illustration from the Word of God. Philippians 4, 4-6, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Here, here's what happens because you know the Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgivings, let your requests be known to God. And look at the result. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Simply knowing who He is, knowing that He's near, and knowing that He's for us, not against us, that, he, that, he, that He's to help us. What does it say? Peace. Peace. You go down to verse 9. He talks about these things and he says, The God of peace will be with you. Knowing this wonderful, awesome, amazing God produces incomprehensible peace. And Paul says it there in the world, in, in the word. It surpasses all comprehension. The world looks at you and say, How did you have peace walking through that? That's how awesome a God I serve. Believing that Romans 8.18 says this, that I do not consider the present sufferings worthy to be compared to the glory that is to be revealed in us. Listen, there's a day when God settles the accounts and I promise you, you won't have a word to say to Him other than worship because of how awesome He is. And when He bestows that crown upon our head and He says, well done, thy good and faithful servant, I promise you, you won't bring up anything that happened on this side of eternity that you were confused about. It won't even be worth to compare, Paul says. This is a guy who had been shipwrecked, beaten, stoned, left for dead. You look at 2 Corinthians 11. Paul says, I won't bring any of that stuff up. So peace, peace. But not only peace, when we know this great God, there's peace. But not only this, when we know this great God, there's worship. Listen to Psalm 99. The Lord reigns. Let the people tremble. He is enthroned above the cherubim. Let the earth shake. The Lord is great in Zion. He is exalted above all the peoples. Let them praise your great and awesome name. Holy is He. The strength of the King loves justice. He has established equity. He has executed justice and righteousness in Jacob. Listen, exalt in the Lord our God and worship at His footstool. Holy is He. Not only does knowing God produce incomprehensible peace, it produces incomprehensible worship. Worship. There will be a people that the world will not understand. How are they able to worship? The response to God's greatness, to, uh, to, to the response to God's greatness is loyalty. It's peace, but it's worship. It's worship. That's why, again, Paul says in Romans twelve. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, in view of God's mercy, to do what? To offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. It's worship. The question becomes this, back to the original question that I asked you. Do you know this God? Is your God awesome? Is your God kind of awesome? Or is your God puny? Is He ho-hum? Is He unlike anything you've ever seen or will see before until you see Him face to face? Or is He a lot like you and me? That's the question before us. How well could you describe him? That may have been convicting for some. That could have been the longest two minutes of our lives. 
simply because we don't know how to describe them. Might, might some of us, the response today, be to grow in, go, grow in grace and knowledge of God's Word? Some of our response today may be repent, that we've taken Him for granted and we don't know Him as well as we should know Him. That could be the response. Some of you here may not have a relationship with Him all, and by God's grace, you'd come down here and let me talk to you about that, about a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, having your sins forgiven, being redeemed. I pray that we would be a people who knows this great and awesome God, and not from an intellectual standpoint, but from an intimacy standpoint, intimacy. That though the winds come, though the storms come, that we would not be moved. That we would not be moved. Because they're coming. Satan's going make to make sure of it that they're coming. And I pray that the peace of God, this awesome God we serve, would guard our minds and hearts in Christ Jesus. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away, that we would be a people that said, Blessed be the name of the Lord.